What's going on, everybody? I hope you're doing well. Thank you for stopping by for another episode of Unbashful. We have a pretty packed episode today. Uh, the first thing we are going to go over is the big shift with Disney. And the writer strike is continuing to, to happen. Lots of projects are getting delayed from multiple studios. But Disney has finally announced a official uh, change across the Avatar franchise, Marvel, and Avatar. So... Let's begin the episode here because I think this is going to take take up a lot of time. I want to give my thoughts about this. Let's start with Marvel. Let's we'll go over their schedule first. Now Marvel has been a lot of things have been delayed. Uh, I expected a lot of these projects to be delayed regardless of the writer strike, so I'm, I'm not surprised that things like the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars have been pushed back each a year. Uh, but some other surprises like we have Deadpool. Um, but let's actually just read the article here. It breaks down everything. Uh, it says here, The changes start with Captain America Brave New World, which was initially scheduled to be released on May 3rd, 2024. Now, the next installment in the Captain America franchise will be coming out almost three months later on July 26. The move affects everything down the line. Thunderbolts, which was once on Captain America's new date, is now being moved to December... Excuse me, is now on December 20th, 2024. That pushes Blade to February 14th, 2025 and Fantastic Four to May 2nd, 2025. The concluding films are being pushed back an entire year just in case. Avengers King Dynasty will now premiere on May 1st, 2026, and Secret Wars will move from that date, which is it was initially in 2026. It says here, and Secret Wars will move from that date to May 7th of 2027. Deadpool seems to be the only comic book superhero to escape the steamroller as Deadpool 3 gets moved from November 8th to May 3rd, 2024. Okay, so we'll we'll uh, we'll dive into the Star Wars moves and in the Avatar Avatar that blows my mind. We'll we'll get into that in a moment. Let's begin here with Marvel. Couple things to note. Like I mentioned at the at the at the beginning of the episode, not surprised whatsoever that Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars got moved. And I'll be honest with you, I'm willing to bet that they're going to get moved again. I, I would not be surprised if we find out that when it's all said and done, I would not be surprised if we don't get Secret Wars till like 2029. And I know that sounds crazy. I'm going to be almost 30. That's like, I don't even want to like think that far ahead. So I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get Secret Wars till 2029 and we don't get Kang Dynasty until 20, till, uh, till 2028, and by that point, it might not even be called King Dynasty, because everything happening with Jonathan Majors, who knows what Marvel's going to do, I don't think they're going to pivot from Kang being the, the central villain of the MCU moving forward, but it is possible, we, we don't really know, I mean, that's so far ahead, who knows, I mean, fuck, I hope we can make it to then, <laughs> as, as a, as a, as a, as a society, <laughs> not to get morbid here or anything, but of course, there's a lot of things going on in the world we've there's discussion of you know world war three and all things like that so you know i'm just praying we can <laughs> we can at least get to the end of the the 2020s i i love secret wars um and i've i've really excited i think that film has the potential to be the greatest comic book film of all time like honestly um now let's 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 see what else here uh, it says here captain america brave new world moved just a couple of months two months to July, nothing really, you know, surprising there. 
Thunderbolts gets a move to December. I think that's a good move because I heard right before the writer's strike that they hired a new writer to maybe, I don't know if they hired a new writer to rewrite the film, but they they might have hired another writer to maybe revise the script, touch it up a bit, beef it up a bit. No pun intended because the writer that they hired for the for Thunderbolts, I believe, is the writer of the show called Beef. Um, and that was like, once again, that was like a couple of months before the film was about to roll cameras. So that was very concerning. So getting, getting Thunderbolts pushed now to essentially Christmas of next year, I think gives them a lot more time to, um, to, well, I mean, they can't work on the script right now because of the, excuse me, because of the writer's strike, obviously. I mean, and hopefully fingers crossed by the end of the summer, the fall of this year, the writer strike will be concluded. Um, and to take it a step further, hopefully there's not a strike with the with the with the Screen Actors Guild. I think I heard the other day that the directors negotiated a new deal, so I think they're good. So I, I think I'm pretty sure that they're not going to go on strike, but the actors could still go on strike. So you know, fingers crossed. I'm going to remain optimistic that hopefully before the year ends, we don't have. A actors, a screen actors strike, and the Writers Guild of America negotiate their their uh, their fair compensation, and we can get the ball rolling here. Uh, Deadpool, this is interesting. It's moving up. Uh, I talked. I, I've talked about Deadpool before. I'm a little bit concerned about the film because it is shooting right now, and there's reports that they have to stick to the script no matter what. And we know that Ryan Reynolds has great comedic timing. He's a very uh, spontaneous actor. You can tell in a lot of his films. You could tell that there's probably a lot of improv in, 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 uh, implemented. And since they're shooting the film during this time, they don't they can't do that legally. So they have to stick to the script. And I'm confident that they wrote a, a great script for the film because I think the same writers for the first two films um, returned to to write the third film here. So I'm confident that the script is good, but improv is always nice. Once again, it creates that sense of spontaneity, authenticity. Uh, As an actor myself, I know that improv helps when, when things aren't feeling right. Maybe, 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 maybe the lines aren't coming out great. Maybe you're not hitting your mark. and, And suddenly that, that moment happens between you and the other actor. And that's sort of that, that light bulb goes off. And you think of something fantastic in the moment. So I know the the beauty of improv and the fact that they can't do that with a character like Deadpool, with an actor like Ryan Reynolds, that concerns me a little bit. Um, it's very common for films to get rewritten, uh, and you know, to varying degrees during the actual production of the film. That's why writers are usually on set, so they can't even do that. They can't rewrite anything. So maybe what once was thought as a as a as a as a great scene in Deadpool three four five months ago when they were writing the film. Maybe once they show up the set, they think of a better idea. Well, they they have to stick to the script, right? So that concerns me a little bit. But now the film is moving up, and I know they're shooting right now. Um, so look, on one hand, it's exciting. We're going to be getting Deadpool three sooner than later, uh, and you know, I'm surprised that when Marvel was at San Diego Comic Con last year, they didn't announce Deadpool 3 as part of Phase 5 because I think from a scheduling wise that technically Deadpool 3 is going to be a part of Phase 5 not that it really matters but um so yeah that's my thoughts on that let's let's see did I miss anything else here from Marvel 
Um, Fantastic Four. I mean, there's really not much to say. This film gets delayed every five minutes. Uh, there's now new reports that the cast isn't a lock. I talked about on the last episode how apparently the cast is Adam Driver, Margot Robbie, Paul Mescal, and Debbie Diggs. Apparently that is um, not a lock, and it has a lot to do with money. Apparently, some of these actors want twenty million dollars a film. Look, I love Adam Driver, but I don't really, I don't think any actor joining the MCU should be making that kind of money. Chris Hemsworth is making that kind of money right now because he's been playing Thor for over ten years. Robert Downey Jr. made that kind of money because you know he was the he was the sort of he's essentially the anchor of the MCU. So it took a while for them to earn that payday. I don't think you walk into the MCU. It doesn't matter who you are, uh, unless you're like Daniel Day Lewis or something. <laughs> um, I don't think you enter the MCU and demand that kind of payday. You know, ten million dollars. I can agree with that. You know, I'm 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 cool with that, especially for Margot Robbie for Adam Driver. I think that's respectable. I think they deserve that, and that's still a fuckload of money for three months of shooting, right? But twenty 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 five million dollars, I can't agree with that at all. So they're trying to apparently they're they're still negotiating the price, and and if things fall through, if they can't meet each other or or find a a, a compromise, they'll probably look to new actors. And once again, the film gets delayed to push back another year. Now, let's see. Blade. Okay. This is interesting. I think Blade is one more delay away from Mahershala walking. Because, not to be disrespectful, but Mahershala is 49 years old. And he's entering a comic book franchise. And he's going to be one of, I assume he's going to be one of the main MCU heroes sort of headlining the MCU for the next five, six, seven, ten years. He he's getting up there in age. When the film was announced, it was in 2019. We're almost four years since then. By the time the film comes out, it's gonna be almost seven years. Or excuse me, it's gonna be almost six years. Does he want to stick around for that long? Does he have the bandwidth to continue to see another writer get added? You know, another thing fall through the cracks. Um, does Marvel want to go through that anymore either? And I know one can make the argument that there's tons of actors in advanced age playing comic book characters. Like, you know, we have Michael Keaton coming back in, in The Flash. We have Hugh Jackman returning in Wolverine. That's a fair point to make. The only thing I'll say is that these actors are coming back for one, maybe two films. Mahershala is is getting his first film in the MCU. He's obviously going to be in other projects. I mean, he's all technically he's already in another Marvel film uh, in um, in Eternals. Although I think they might retcon that ending because apparently Black Knight might not even in the new draft of the script that they've written, Black Knight might not even be in the Blade film. So. Depending on the contract as well, he probably signed for like eight or nine movies. I think that there's a big difference between an actor in advanced age like Michael Keaton and like Hugh Jackman returning for one or two films. Because I think Hugh Jackman will probably come back to Secret Wars. Uh, and we know he's obviously going to be in Deadpool 3. So that's a couple of films. There's going to be a big gap between Secret Wars and uh, and Deadpool 3. So after he's done Deadpool 3, he can have a couple of years to you know, relax a little bit and then get back into into the shape that he needs. 
Uh, and then Michael Keaton, I don't think he's coming back after The Flash. I think this is pretty much it. I know he was going to be in Batgirl, but even beyond that, I don't think there was any other plans for him. I know he's pretty old. So in, in, in Mahershala's case, he's going to be in probably like seven or eight films, you know, and, and he's going to, when it's all said and done and, and he's in his last MCU project, he'll probably be right up into his early 60s. Is that something he really wants to do? So I, I think right now he, he's still in the film. He's still a part of it. But I think if this film gets delayed again, like if this film gets pushed to 2026, I think he's going to walk. I think the film will, will happen at some point. Uh, but I think if it gets delayed one more time, I, I would, it, would not, it would not surprise me if Mahershala leaves the project and they hire another actor. The thing about Mahershala, too, I don't want to sound disrespectful when it comes to age. He doesn't look 49. The guy looks like he's in his mid-30s, and I'm sure he's in great shape, probably better shape than I am. Uh, but at the same time, you know, age is, is undefeated. And do you really want to put yourself through that wear and tear of being a superhero and, you know, doing stunts and, and doing all this and that for the better part of 10 years when your first film has taken this long to even get made? There's The script isn't even done there's been like so many things like I said so many things have just fallen through the cracks in this film so yeah that, that's pretty much all the Marvel news um let's see here Star Wars Avatar okay yeah the last thing I'll say about Marvel is that I can almost guarantee you and I know I'm repeating myself at this point but I can almost guarantee you that Secret Wars and Kang Dynasty will get moved again because this is something that we need to keep in mind when Marvel announced when Marvel announced King Dynasty and Secret Wars last last summer, they showed that there was a lot of empty dates, or excuse me, a lot of empty uh, uh, spots for Phase Six. I'm sure a lot of that will be, you know, movies, TV shows, and uh, none of those have been announced yet. And you know, 2027 and 2026 might sound like a might sound like a long time from now, but it's really not because so many of these other films that haven't been announced yet have to come out. So it really doesn't give them enough time to release some of these phase six films in between now and 2027. So that's what I'm saying. Like there's been reports that, you know, Shang-Chi has a, has a, we'll have a sequel that's going to come out within phase six. Dr. Strange three is, a, is, is supposedly already in pre or, um, uh, early development and there's a Wonder Man show being filmed right now. There's obviously Daredevil Born Again. So there's so many projects that have to come out before we get to these two Avengers films. I can almost guarantee you that we will not see these two films come out till the very end of this of the 2020s. That's just my thoughts. Pure speculation. Who knows? Maybe they'll just rush it out and make generic generic superhero films which i don't think marvel wants to do i think they're moving away from that they saw what they what happened with phase four and chapek you know pushing out content and making it a mandate we need three four five six seven marvel projects a year i think kevin feige and bob Iger realize that they need to slow down so i think more delays are on the way and of course if the writer strike continues then there will be more delays regardless so we'll we'll uh we'll have to see how that turns out uh i'll Kind of breeze through Star Wars. I'm not. The, I'm not really a big Star Wars guy. Uh, but if you are, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of entertain this for you. So it says here, 
There was an untitled Star Wars movie dated September 9th, 2025, but it was moved to the following year to be released on May 22nd, 2026. Theoretically, means that the two Star Wars movies will be released that year. Also, a new film showed up on the schedule dated uh, December 18th, 2026. So there you have it, Star Wars fans. Now, let's talk about Avatar, because I think this is just hilarious at this point. Uh, so it says here, We all breathed a sigh of relief when Avatar The Way of Water finally emerged 10 years after its predecessor. But now it looks like we'll have to wait a little longer for Avatars 3, 4, and 5. Most of these movies on Disney's list have been delayed due to complications following the writer's strike. But we thought most of the Avatar movies were already finished. James Cameron said that before he even released The Way of Water, he had already finished filming 3 and most of 4. Uh, so it's, okay, so where did, where's the rest of the article? Where did it go? Oh, here it is, okay. So it seems that the special effects for Avatar really are just that good, but according to the schedule, the post-production will take a long time to complete. Avatar 3, which was set to release on December 20th, 2024, will now come out a year later on December 19th, 2025. Avatar 4 is moving three years ahead from December 18th, 2026 to December 21st. This is where it gets insane. 2029 let me repeat that avatar 4 is moving three years ahead from december 18th 2026 to december 21st 2029 and this this, this is the part that blows my mind avatar 5 now isn't scheduled for release until december 19th 2031 holy fuck that is that's insane and the crazy thing is, this film will come out. Because look what happened with The Way of Water. It took forever for that film to come out. Over 10 years for that film to come out. And it still saw the light of day. People still loved it. I didn't really like it. That That's just me. I, I'm not the biggest fan of the Avatar franchise in general. I think they're they're fun spectacle. They're, they're like one-watch spectacle films for me. My friend, I was at my friend's house the other day. And he was trying to get me to watch The Way of Water. He had already started watching the film. He was halfway through, so already he was already an hour and a half into the film. And I still didn't want to sit. Uh, I still didn't want to sit through the film. It's just like it's it's fun to watch in the theater. I think you should watch it in the theater. See it in IMAX. This and that. And I think you almost just want to go if you're a, if you're a, a, a film fan and you respect James Cameron. He's he's obviously one of the great filmmakers in our time. You have to you have to see one of these Avatar films just just to see what you know ten years of filmmaking can can present. But beyond that, I don't ever rewatch these films. I think I might have rewatched the first Avatar once. Maybe that's it. I just they're 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 too long for the story that's being told. I think very few films warrant a three-hour runtime, and I do not believe any of these Avatar films do. That's just my opinion. By the end of the second film, I mean, I can't even really tell you what, what happens in the third act of The Way of Water. It just, it happened, and my brain immediately just disposed of it. That's, so, yeah, um, 2031, my God, that's, that's, that's terrifying. You know, we were just talking about King Dynasty and Secret Wars, uh, being pushed to, 2026 2027 i mean these films are being pushed all the way till the next fucking decade and you know obviously if you're a big fan of avatar that sucks but i think you should be excited at the same time because it really shows that the studio cares to to outdo themselves on each entry in this franchise and uh you know i hope marvel 
kind of takes notes. You know, they, they, they see the respect and the quality and the care that the Avatar franchise is getting because they're literally getting pushed till the fucking end of time. I think Marvel should take a page out of that book. And to be honest with you, I know I've, I feel like I'm fucking just going in a circle at this point. Marvel should honestly come out today and say, I know we just said Secret Wars 2027, fuck that, 2030 Secret Wars will come out. Honestly, you know what? It's It sounds horrible uh, for me. It gives me an existential crisis. I don't even want to know what I'll be like at the age of 30. But, you know, I, I, I want this, I want Secret Wars to... To be what it can be. And I think I truly believe the story that can be told through that film, you know, implementing every Marvel character that has ever been on live action animation. I think they can all be in this film. I, I truly think that film needs the time and care it deserves. And I honestly think that film should get a new writer. I love Michael Waldron. I'm sorry, I don't love Michael Waldron. What the fuck? I don't even know Michael Waldron. I like Michael Waldron's work. Really like Loki. It's still my favorite MCU series. I didn't love Multiverse of Madness. You know, it was it was fun on the first viewing, but I've tried. I, I can't ever get through that film in its entirety. I try to rewatch it. I just can't sit through it. It's not that I think it's terrible. I just, I don't know. It's just, it, yeah. But anyways, I think they should definitely get a new writer. We already know that a new writer is being, Marvel's searching for, for a new writer. Uh, well, actually, I, have, I keep forgetting about the writer strike. I'm sure they're probably not searching right now. But as soon as the writer strike is over, they will be searching for a new writer for Kang Dynasty because uh, Jeff Loveness was apparently fired. So, yeah. Uh, I think that wraps up everything for for the first topic here on Unbashful. The delays. So, that is pretty crazy. What are your thoughts on this? Are, 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 are you... You know, are you feeling the, the same as me in regards to Marvel? You know, should should they delay some of these projects even further out to, to give them more time? Because um, I think the the potential is there. They just, they, they have to just take as much time as they need because we want great stories being told on screen. Uh, are you a Star Wars fan? Do you care about that? Um, Avatar, you know, what are your thoughts? I hope we're even alive to see <laughs> uh, some of these films. Um, let me know down in the comments below. So let's move on to the next topic here. What do we got? What, what do we got? So we got the Batman 2. There's now casting rumors about Harvey Dent. So let's jump into that. Sorry, before we jump in, I need to give credit where credit is due. The article that I that I read the information off of for for the for all the delays that came from Movie Web, and it was written by Ted Bajer or Bajar. Not too sure how to, how to pronounce that. Uh, but let's move on here. So, The Batman 2. For me, I think The Batman, the film that came out last year, directed by Matt Reeves, I think that's right up there as one of the greatest comic book films of all time. I don't think it is the greatest, but I, I truly think it's top five. I think it's incredible. And I think The Batman Part 2 has the potential to exceed that. It could be, you know, The Dark Knight in this franchise. And, you know, it seems like they're kind of taking a page out of The Dark Knight and it seems like the second film is going to have Harvey Dent. Whether he becomes Two-Face in this film or we see him in this film sort of make little appearances introducing the character. Maybe in the third film, he'll fully kind of become Two-Face. We'll have to wait and see. Although I don't think Two-Face is going to be the main villain of the Batman Part 2. I think that's going to be Clayface. And uh, But let, let's go over the article here. So we have some casting 
news. And this comes from comicbook.com. It says here, casting Two-Face in the Batman Part 2 could, could come down to a flip of the coin. Matt Reeves is returning to direct and write the Batman sequel, which will see Robert Pattinson don the cape and cowl of Gotham's Dark Knight a second time. Ahead of a scheduled early 2024 production start at Warner Brothers, leaves in studios in England, Batman 2 is reportedly eyeing two actors for the role of Gotham District Attorney Harvey Dent. It says here the actors are Josh Hartnett and Joel Edgerton. Insider John Rocha revealed the rumored shortlist on the Hot Mike podcast with Jeff Snyder. According to Roca, the producers are looking at Hartnett and Edgerton for the role of Gotham's new DA, who, quote, may become Two-Faced by the end of the film. Okay, so I, I guess I might be wrong. Gotham's corrupt district attorney, Gil Coulson, Peter Sarsgaard, was a victim of the Riddler's Paul Dano, or sorry, it says Paul Dano in parentheses, in The Batman. Hartnett is a well-known, excuse me, Hartnett is known for his film roles in Halloween H20, 20 years later, Pearl Harbor, Black Hawk Down, Lucky Number 11, I, I assume that's a seven and 30 days of night. The 44 year old actor once passed on playing man of steel in 2006 as Superman returns and had the, had the talks to play Christopher Nolan's dark Knight and 2005's Batman begins roles that went to Brandon Routh and Christian Bale respectively. Edgerton's credits include star Wars attack of the clones, revenge of the Sith, smoke and aces, warrior zero dark 30, loving the green Knight, and the TV series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. The Australian actor and filmmaker previously collaborated with Pattinson on The Rover, uh, Life, and The King. Okay, so two really good actors. I haven't seen as much films from Josh Hartnett, but he seems to be making a resurgence in his career. We know he's going to be an Oppenheimer. Uh, Joel Edgerton, I think he's also a fantastic actor. I've seen a lot more of his films, and he's starting to step behind the camera. He's directing a lot of films now. Um, he, he directed that film I, th I think he directed, I know he started it, but I'm pretty sure he also directed the film called The Gift with Jason Bateman, and uh, I can't remember the actress in the film, she's from the town. I thought that was a, a pretty good film, it was a smaller film, but tells the story of this this friend uh, from Jason Bateman's character's past, and he, I think Jason Bateman bullied him, and he's sort of reappearing in his life, but he's coming across as, as if he was one of his good friends, uh, but really the whole film is... is, is is this creepy guy trying to essentially take revenge uh, on 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 this childhood bully? But he's he's doing it and, and it, literally hurting him and his family. So I'm not going to spoil it. Pretty good film. Um, check it out. Josh Hartnett. Have I seen any of his films? I've seen Black Hawk Down, multiple uh, nominated for multiple Oscars. Uh, I've seen Pearl Harbor. I haven't seen Lucky Number Seven. I believe I've seen Thirty Days a Night, but I can't quite remember. But I read this article earlier, and I thought it was pretty interesting that he was in the running for Man of Steel and Super... Or, well, Superman is Man of Steel. He was in the running for Man of Steel and, and Nolan's Batman. I think that's pretty interesting. I could I could have seen him as both of these characters, especially when he was younger. He, he definitely had that, uh, that, that sort of Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent look to him. But apparently now... These are the two actors that are that are that are being heavily considered for Two Face. I think, honestly, I mean, you, you give it to either one of these actors, and I'd be perfectly fine with it. And I think Two Face is a, is an incredibly interesting character. I think what Aaron Eckhart did, uh, I believe that's the actor's name uh, from from The Dark Knight. I think that was fantastic. Um, you know, I really hope the second film doesn't you know repeat story beats from The Dark Knight. I don't think it will. Uh, but I think it's interesting that we're getting Harvey Dent in the second film, pretty similar to 
to what Christopher Nolan did. Um, and I'm sure Barry Keoghan will probably return as the Joker. Uh, I think they're setting him up to be the main villain of the third film. I'm referring to to uh, to Barry Keoghan's Joker. I think he's probably going to have, once again, a sort of background role in this film, maybe pulling more of the strings. We know that Paul Dano is returning in this film as well. To what capacity he'll be in the film, probably not as much as he was in the first film. I mean, I assume the, the 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 Penguin will probably be coming back in the second film. So it seems like this will be much more of an ensemble compared to the first film. And uh, and yeah, I'm really excited for, for the Batman Part 2. It did get delayed. Apparently, it got moved to, uh, to March of 20... When did it get moved? Oh, sorry. I think filming got pushed to March of 2024. And I believe they were originally going to be shooting, begin shooting this film in November. So then I think the film was then delayed till, till uh, I think later, possibly the summer of 2025. But I could be wrong. I don't have that here in my notes. And there's one more casting to go over as well before we jump into the next project about Tarantino's next film, The Movie Critic. Superman Legacy. Now, Superman Legacy has has we've been hearing a lot of casting rumors lately about actors like David Corn Sweat, Nicholas Holt. Uh, there's been you know Rachel Brosnahan for uh, for 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 Lois Lane, um, and apparently they're narrowing down their candidates. And it, I mean, it's literally those people I just said plus a plus a couple others here. I'll read in the article. Um, you know, I've talked about Superman before. I, I think as a character, I've never found him quite interesting. Uh, but for some reason, I'm starting to get excited for this film. You know, hearing about behind-the-scenes production stuff, it always gets me excited. It's kind of like free agency in the NBA. You know, it's exciting. You hear about the behind-the-scenes news about this player getting signed. It's kind of the same thing with films and, and television. I like hearing about the production process of, you know, this actor is in negotiation. This director might direct the film. So I think that's part of the draw for me right now. And also it's James Gunn. And I think, you know, he's he's got a he's got a real creative, you know, pulse when it comes to comic book films. We know what he can do and what he's capable of. So while I'm not, you know, extremely uh uh, tied to the Superman character, I didn't really grow up uh, reading his comics or, or or even being a big fan of, of the Superman films. I'm I'm willing to give James Gunn's iteration a shot, and who knows, maybe after seeing the film when it finally comes out, maybe I'll fall in love with this character and he'll be one of my favorite superhero characters of all time. Who knows? Uh, but let's get into the candidates here. So it says Dent. This comes from Deadline. Says here, uh, exclusive. Following months of going through dozens of audition tapes, Warner Brothers and DC Films look to be clo- getting closer to finding the stars of their Superman Legacy movie as a second round of testing looks to be imminent. Insiders close to the process say the first in-person test with DC co-heads Peter Safran and James Gunn, who is writing and directing the pick, will take place around Father's Day weekend or the Monday or Tuesday after that. Uh, it says here, with Nicholas Holt, David Cornsweet, Tom Brittany expected to test for Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman, and Emma McKay, Rachel Brazahan, and Phoebe Denover, definitely didn't pronounce that correctly, testing for Lois Lane. Sources added that some of the test deals are still being negotiated and haven't all closed, but that, as of now, uh, these are the names expected to participate in the auditions. Um, 
so yeah, David Korn, Sweat, Nicholas Holt, Tom Brady. Let's go over that first. First of all, who is Tom Brady? I'm not too sure. I know who the other two guys are, but I'm not too sure who this guy is. Tom Brady. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I could see him as Superman. I don't, I don't think I've seen anything that he's in. Seems like a pretty. Uh, I don't want to say unknown because you know who the fuck am I? Nobody knows who I am. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd have to see some of his films, see kind of his his acting. Uh, I mean, if he's in the final the final rounds, I I mean, I'm I'm he's there for a reason, so I'm sure he is a good actor. Really, not much to say about him. But David Corn Sweat, uh, I'm I'm familiar familiarizing myself. Is that even a word? I'm getting more familiar with his work because a few weeks ago, when we heard his name was in the running, I had never heard of this guy either. But you know, he probably looks the most like Superman out of the three, but I'll be honest with you. I think I would give the role to Nicholas Holt, and I think this guy uh, has, has I, I think this is his time. He has been in the running for the Batman for, uh, I think he's been in the running for other superhero characters as well. We know he was a beast in some of the X-Men films, and while he may not look as much like Superman as maybe, say, this other guy, David Cornsweat, I think Nicholas Holt is a fantastic actor, and if he kind of, you know, put puts on a little bit of muscle, um, you know, hair and makeup will, hair and makeup will do the job, they'll make him look like Superman, they'll give him the sort of cowlick curl uh, and everything like that, I think he could Pull it off. So, to be honest with you, I know everybody's saying David Cornsweat, and look at this guy gets cast. I'm sure he'll do a great job. For me, though, I think I would actually pick uh, Nicholas Holt to play Superman. And I think this is interesting because there's also rumor, well, there was rumors, whether they're true or not, that he was actually in the running to play Lex Luthor. Um, it, once again, when it comes to Lex Luthor, I don't really know that much about the character. Uh, to me, I don't have a lot of connection to him. So, I mean, all I know is that he's bald and, and he's sort of the main adversary to Superman. That's really, that's that's as far as it goes for my, you know, knowledge when it comes to to to, to Lex Luthor. But, um, yeah, pretty interesting. So, let's go over, uh, let's let's you know, hop over to Lois Lane, who's, of course, the love interest and uh, the well-renowned reporter of the Daily Planet. Uh, Lois Lane, let's see, what are the candidates here? Um, let's see. Oh, I got to respond to this really quickly. Oh, a friend of mine wants to play basketball. Well, I will definitely do that. Ah, fuck it, I'll keep that in the podcast. Whatever, I'm not going to edit that out. Who cares? Life. It is what it is. <laughs> okay, so where where was I? Uh, Lois Lane. Okay, so the actors, actresses here are Emma McKay, Rachel Brosnan, Phoebe Denebro. Oh, yeah, I already, I already said them. I don't really know any of these actresses except for Rachel Brosnahan, and uh, I know she's got that show on Amazon, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She was also in House of Cards, and I think it, I've seen her in a few other things. She'd probably be my pick, but I think it's kind of unfair for me to give that pick because I haven't I've seen like nothing of the other actresses. And I guess I could kind of say the same for Superman. I'm I'm picking Nicholas Holt because let's be honest, he's the only actor I really know of the three. So 
you know, maybe once I get a little bit more familiar with Tom Brittany's work and, and you know, David Cornsweet's work, maybe I'll, I'll kind of change my mind. But as of right now, I'd probably pick Nicholas Holt and Rachel Brazahan. For me, I think, you know, age-wise it fits because we know James Gunn was looking for somebody in their, you know, early to mid-30s. And Henry Cavill, I think he's like 40 now. So if they were to stick with him, they would, you know, by the time Superman Legacy comes out, he's going to be like 42, 43, assuming that film doesn't get delayed as well. Because I could see a lot of, you know, we just talked about Marvel and DC, or Marvel uh, and, you know, Avatar and Star Wars. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear that DC is, you know, in, in their cinematic universe. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear they start to, you know, push back some of their projects coming out. So yeah, so that, that that pretty much rounds it up for for this topic. We we had some casting news about Harvey Dent and Superman. What are your thoughts? Who would you pick? Is there any actors that haven't been named that you would like to see kind of have their name in the running? Let me know uh, down in the comments below. But now let's move on. We'll talk about Tarantino's next film, The Movie Critic. So it broke in the trades about three months ago that Tarantino's, you know, final film, I say that in air quotes, is called The Movie Critic, and it's going to begin shooting at the end of this year, although I think that's probably going to get delayed because of the writer's strike. And uh, I think the concept of this film sounds very intriguing. Apparently, it's going to be loosely based off of a real movie critic. Uh, I can't remember the name of the critic, but apparently she was one of the most respected critics in the industry, and apparently she even worked in the studio head system, so I think that's going to be very interesting to see. We've never really, I don't think we've ever seen a film from the perspective and telling the story from the from the side of a, of a critic. Usually we see movies that take place or, or tell stories of, you know, Hollywood, and it's, it usually has to do with, you know, actors, directors, stuff like that. Um, Tarantino obviously did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and and, you know, there's so many other movies and, and television shows you could point to. So I think this is a very interesting uh, choice for, for one of his final films. And uh, I'm obviously I'm going to be there to see it. I'm incredibly excited for it. But I think there's an interesting conversation to be had about where could this film go. Tarantino has, hasn't really had one home you know, studio, you know, distribution-wise, he's done films for Miramax, he's done stuff with, uh, obviously, you know, the Weinstein Company, and fuck Harvey Weinstein, you know, burning hell, uh, but he's, 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 he's kind of bounced back and forth between a lot of different studios, which makes sense for some of these auteur filmmakers, you know, they, they shop around, see which studio is willing to give them the money to make their film, I mean, if you look at Scorsese, he's been, he's been everywhere, his last film, The Irishman, that was a Netflix. His next film, Killers of the Flower Moon, that's got like five distributors. It's got like, I think it's Paramount is going to be behind the theatrical release of the film. But then I think the rights will fall back to Apple. And then I think the film will, will be an Apple original film on streaming. So I'm not entirely sure how the whole process is working out. Uh, but Tarantino's last film, I, my mic, wow, my mic was kind of falling down. This sounds better. Sorry, um, Tarantino's last film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that was distributed by uh, uh, Sony, and that was incredible. Now, you know, to most casual audiences, they don't really care or pay attention uh, to to sort of where the studio or what studio is behind each film. But I think it is important. It's it's important to the to the overall production of of the film. So I think it does have. Um, 
I think it definitely does have an impact on, on where, because some studios are more lenient towards certain things. Some studios will be a little bit more apprehensive with like, let's say, uh, you know, violence or, you know, whatever. Sometimes they'll want to, you know, review every draft of the script that comes through. It also, you know, depends on the filmmakers and, and things like that. But I think Tarantino has earned the trust from a lot of studios. So really, no matter where he goes, I think he's going to get pretty much uh, most of, you know, control of, of the story that's being told. But it seems like we might know where his next film is going to be, or, or rather where it's going to land studio-wise. And it seems like it might be going back to, uh, to Sony. So let's see here. This comes from The Hollywood Reporter. It says, One other thing that Rothman... Now, Rothman kind of, you know, steering away for a sec. Tom Rothman is the studio head of uh, of Sony, by the way, just to, you know, for context. Let's get back here. So, it says here, One other thing that Rothman is hopeful about landing Tarantino's latest and reportedly final movie, the movie critic, after Tarantino told Deadline at Cannes that he would likely partner with Sony on the film, quote, because they're the last game in town that is just absolutely, utterly committed to the theatrical experience, end quote. The article goes on to say, and as for his response, Rothman noted, I read that before adding, I hope so, end quote. Very interesting, and I think one thing that I that I didn't even realize that Tarantino said about Sony, he says here, I'll read it again, before, or excuse me, because they're the last game in town that is just absolutely, utterly committed to the theatrical experience. That is something that I never really considered. Sony is probably the only major studio left that doesn't have a streaming service. Right, Netflix, Netflix, Netflix is Netflix. Apple has you know Apple TV. Uh, Disney has Disney Plus. Warner Brothers has you know Max now. Like every studio has their major respective uh, streaming service, and I, I totally just didn't even realize that Sony doesn't. Will they in the future? Probably, um, but for now they don't. And I think that's actually that I think that's very pivotal in, in Tarantino's decision making because you know he could go to any one of these other studios and probably get the same amount of money, but I don't think he wants his film to have just like a, a two week theatrical window. I think, and I think audiences will agree, we want to see this film in theaters as much as possible. People will want to rewatch it. People will want to go back for multiple viewings. Um, and if it is truly his last film, I want to see it in the theater as many times as I can personally, although I think that's bullshit. Um, I, I, I don't think this is going to be his last film. I think he might take a break from, from filmmaking for maybe a decade or so that wouldn't surprise me, but I don't think anybody in Hollywood truly does retire. I think that they just take long hiatuses, but I think that they ultimately come back. I've, I've talked about Daniel Day Lewis before this guy has retired like three times, he said Phantom Thread will be his last film. I don't believe that. I think that, not to sound, you know, pretentious or, or, or you know, whatever, but speaking as an artist, uh, you, you, you get that itch. It comes in different wavelengths and it's inspired by different things that you're going through in life, whether you're going through hardship, sometimes that can inspire art or storytelling or whatever, whatever it is that you do. And the opposite side of the coin, sometimes you're you're going through a big high and everything in life is firing on all cylinders and, and you feel like you need to uh, illustrate that that emotion through 
some kind of, you know, avenue of, of, of art. So I think that he will come around, whether it's five, six, seven, ten years from now, something will click. He'll maybe he'll read a book and he'll think, wow, I could adapt this into a great story or whatever. Maybe he'll direct TV more. We do know that he has that that uh, that TV show that he announced on that podcast that's going to be coming at some point. Um, but once again, it'll probably get delayed because of the writer strike. So I think very interesting. Did you guys ever really consider this that Sony is the last studio in town, the last big studio rather that doesn't have a streaming service? I know there's others. I, I think A24, although they're nowhere near the same level, you know, financially and market share wise as Sony. I don't think A24 has a streaming service that I could be wrong about. But yeah, pretty interesting. And it seems like Sony will 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 land. Tarantino's next film, and uh, I'm pretty excited for that. So let's move on to the next topic. I'm going to give my 2023 midterm movie report card. Essentially, this is just going to be a ranking, you know, breaking down how I how I feel so far. We're in June, so we're about the halfway mark of the year. I think it'd be fun to sort of rank all the movies that I have seen that have come out this year and uh, see where they fit against one one another. So let's get into that. Okay, so let's get into this midterm report card. I'm not going to talk about each movie extensively. I'll just kind of give a couple of thoughts. Uh, dead last, I have Knock at the Cabin. I think this movie was terrible. Uh, really disappointed because I, I like M. Night Shyamalan. And every time he has a film that comes out, I'm always interested and intrigued because I think the potential is there for an you know an, a compelling story, an interesting twist. But lately, his films... Uh, have have kind of lacked. Um, it, it's really it comes down to the third act of a lot of these films. Like I think conceptually they sound really interesting. I think old sounded like a really cool film. They're at this island and they're kind of stuck there and and they're sort of in this like time pocket where time is is seeming to pass them by incredibly fast and you know people are dying before their very eyes. I think that sounded interesting on paper. I think the execution and ultimately the third act is what failed. And I feel very similar about Knock at the Cabin. I thought the the trailer looked intriguing. It's it sounded like this uh, story of 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 this this family and they're sort of trying to enjoy a quiet little vacation and then all suddenly strangers pull up to their house and say, "Hey, you got to sacrifice one of each other for essentially the sake of humanity. If you don't." Each, each moment that passes, you know, this will happen and a tsunami will happen, you know, famine, disease, interesting concept, right? Uh, but ultimately, I just think the execution was was bad. And, and I think at the end of the film, I was, I kind of just felt like, what did I get out of this? What did I, like, what ultimately did I watch? You know, and it just, I don't know, felt kind of pointless, right? So yeah, dead last was Knock of the Cabin. Uh, in 14th place, I have The Sun. By the way, I've seen 15 films so far this year that have come out this year. I have The Sun. This is directed by Florian Zeller, who directed the Academy Award-winning film The Father just a few years back. So uh, I, to this day, I still haven't seen The Father, but I know it's uh, it's you know it's apparently incredible, and I've seen clips of Anthony Hopkins in it. Of course, I'm. You know, big fan of him, Silence of the Lambs. So uh, I haven't seen that film, but this movie was not very good. Uh, and it's not Hugh Jackman's fault. It's not Laura Dern's fault. 
I, I attribute a lot of the, the, uh, the, the things I don't like about this film to the director himself, Florian Zeller and the writers, and even a little bit to the actor who is literally playing the son in this film, who's playing Hugh Jackman's character, son, who's struggling with, um, with mental illness. He's struggling with, you know, depression, suicide. Uh, look, it's obviously a very heavy subject and I'm not going to get into it too, too, too deep into the show. Because uh, that's just a place that I'm not too familiar with, and I think it'd be insensitive for me to sit here and talk about how how one feels uh, when it, in regards to suicide and depression when I haven't really gone through that myself. So I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh, it was an authentic performance of somebody that has gone through that." I don't know, uh, but for me, speaking from performance wise, I just didn't think the performance is very good. But at the same time, it's not necessarily that the actor wasn't good it could have just been that the writing which I think has a lot to do with that I just think that the writing was bad and didn't really lend for because uh, at the end of the day I mean just speaking from my limited experience as an actor writing is the most important thing that's why the writers deserve the money that they need for these films to get made because they're writing these stories and if you have terrible writing it is very hard to give a good performance with really shitty dialogue coming out of your mouth so that could have something to do with it but so for me that the three things that I would I would sort of say about this film that have it that that bring it so far down on my list was a directing uh b writing and three, the performance from the supporting actor of the actor who played the the son uh, himself. So, uh, and I was excited for this film. I, I went to go see it. There was like nobody in my fucking theater. It was like just me. It's a pretty smaller film and usually films like that nowadays don't even get a theatrical release. But I saw it uh, in January at the very beginning of the year. I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if this is technically a 2023 film i know it premiered at tiff but i think it, it got its full theatrical release at the very beginning of this year so whatever it's on here um yeah number three or excuse me number 13 65 i didn't expect a lot going into this but at the end of the day it's 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 just yeah you know it's pretty much the best way i could i could say about it it's not very interesting uh you know, interesting concept. Once again, I think that's it's a trend you see with a lot of these films. Conceptually, they sound quite intriguing, but ultimately, a good concept needs a good execution. And uh, not to repeat myself, but I just don't think the execution was good in this film. I think even the visual effects at times weren't very good. Uh, you know, the, the, if you don't know what this film was about, it's about Adam Driver, who's this character that lives uh, in the future. I think, and he goes on this space conquest, and he sort of, see, I, I, the movie, I've already removed it from my brain, I can barely even fucking remember the, what the film's about, basically, he goes uh, back in time, 65 million years, hence the title, to, you know, the dinosaurs and everything, and it's, it's just him with this little girl, and they crash land on Earth, uh, 65 million years ago, and they're sort of trying to survive with dinosaurs and, and creatures and shit everywhere, so, you know, interesting uh it has its moments it's entertaining at times but overall i uh, didn't really care for it uh number 12 wait is that number 12 let me see uh yeah number 12 cocaine bear now look going into cocaine bear i didn't expect this film to be very good and it's 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 not 
but I will say I did have a fun time and there were some moments where I definitely laugh and you know it's it it was entertaining for what it was. So it is low on this list, but it's it's really where I expected it to be. Uh, number 11, I have Renfield. Very similar. I didn't think this film was going to be very good, but it definitely had its moments. I had a few laughs. Nicolas Cage overacting was funny to see. Uh, Nicholas Holt, kind of his performance in this film reminded me of, you know, Warm Bodies, just kind of quirky, you know, funny, anxious, you know, I thought it was actually maybe Warm Bodies is the wrong comparison. He played a fucking zombie who was stilted for most of the film. So I don't know, but pretty funny enjoyable but not not a very good film this is probably where it's going to start to get controversial because i think this film is loved by pretty much everybody but i'm not gonna lie i fell asleep three times while watching it and that is mario mario was clocking in at uh who's calling me okay can't answer that right now mario was clocking in at number 11 uh wait no Sorry, yeah, number 11 is, wait, is that right? Sorry, number 10 is Super Mario. This film just felt very safe, is the best way I can put it, to be quite honest with you. It, you know, there was that abysmal live-action Mario movie that came out 10, 15 years ago, uh, and and that was awful, so I, I think the studio made a vow to never even touch that you know, IP in terms of filmmaking, but they've returned here. They made the film. Look, I can get why kids love it. Kids aren't looking for, you know, these core elements that make a good film. They're they're fucking kids. They're going with their family. I I totally get it. And I'm not going to sit here and trash the film. Like it's, it's supposed to be the second coming of Lawrence of Arabia. Obviously not. I just didn't enjoy it very much. And I fell asleep three times. So that was my experience watching Super Mario. Uh, Next up on the list, I have Evil Dead Rise. I was excited for this film. I think the first hour is very entertaining. When the I, there are certainly some really memorable moments. Uh, when the mother is goes full batshit crazy and she's possessed, and and they lock her out of the apartment, and she's in the hallway, and you see through through the little door hole on 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 the door, like to to see you know who's if someone were knocking, they look through that, and she's just fucking killing all their neighbors and in, uh, in their apartment hallway. Like that was terrifying. Uh, but I, when the film was all said and done, it it just, I don't know, it it kind of just felt gen- like a generic horror film to me. Up next, I got Ant-Man Quantum Mania. Now, look, I like Ant-Man Quantum Mania. Does it have its problems? Yes, absolutely. Very bad visual effects. At times, the dialogue was bad. Uh, the acting from... Catherine Newton, I don't think it was very good for Cassie, but once again, that could also be a writing problem because I think she is a good actress. I've seen some of her other films, so I think I attribute more of that to the writing. Uh, but there's a lot of highlights. We see Kang, re- like the for the first time, we're really seeing Kang because we saw Jonathan Majors as He Who Remains, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think that that scene in the film where he first meets Scott is some of is one of my favorite Marvel scenes. Of all time, I think the acting from Jonathan Majors in that scene where we where he's trying to essentially negotiate with Scott uh, to 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 get his quantum engine uh, that pr- was fucking chilling. I I loved it. 
Now, I understand Jonathan Majors has everything going on with him and, and his legal issues. I want to say again, I feel like I have to repeat myself because people nowadays are toxic on the internet. Just because I'm saying I like his performance does not mean I am condoning, you know, abusive behavior or, 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 or condoning violence or anything like that. Absolutely not. I'm just speaking for the performance itself. I thought it was incredible. And yeah, so those are the highlights. Of course, you know, there's other things I could talk about. Paul Rudd is, is always great as, as Ant-Man. Is a film a little bit exposition heavy? Yeah, it is, but I get why. I mean, they got to set up, you know, they got to get the ball rolling. We're, we're phase five. So at this point, traditionally, I, I would definitely, that would definitely be an issue with me for any film, but it's the MCU. I think at this point, you kind of expect that for some films, they need to set up things. It's a, it's a cinematic universe. So that's Ant-Man 3. Uh, the next uh, next film up on this list is Creed 3. I really enjoyed this film on my first viewing, but I'm not going to lie to you. On the rewatch, I've seen the film three three times now. My third viewing, I'm start. I, I've started to notice a lot more things. I think the film, uh, I think the writing is uh, at times not very good, and uh, and and I think it's there. There's some moments in the film that I think are a little bit over dramatic than they need to be. Uh, but then again, I think it is still a, a, a solid boxing film. It has a good story. It's it's unique. It's it's not your typical cookie cutter boxing story. We we it's a story about you know childhood trauma, abuse, rekindling old relationships, like stuff like that. I think it was interesting. Once again, Jonathan Majors is great. Michael B. Jordan's awesome, and uh, I think I will say. For, for a directorial debut, Michael Jordan did a very good job. And how he directed that final the, the, the final fight of the film in the third act between him and Damien, I think the camera work is incredible. So hats off to him. Not an amazing film, but pretty good. Up next, I'm going to talk about this film in a bit in more detail. But reality, this is a little straight-to-streaming film that just came out a couple of weeks ago on HBO. A friend of mine told me about it. And I watched it, and I got to say, this was a solid movie. It's very short. It's a very easy watch. It's about an hour and 20. Uh, it's on uh, HBO. If you're in Canada, it's on Crave. Definitely check it out. It's it's an intense, short film uh, about, a re- about a real story of, of, of this woman who is a, apparently, uh, she like worked for the government, and she was like printing classified documents and sending them to to other to other people it's it's a true story it's very interesting check it out uh, and it's got Sydney Sweeney and, and and some other actors as well very good so here we go we are now in the we're now in the top five so at number five I got Bo is afraid to this day I still don't even know how I truly feel this is one of the most bizarre movies I've ever seen but from the performance alone from the directing alone the writing and just how I felt because I think in in a way the filmmaker Ari Aster wants us to feel just completely like bamboozled I think that was sort of the goal because I think he wants us to sort of get in the mind of this character because we're we see pretty much the entire film I believe from Bo's perspective from his perspective of his anxiety that's just tormenting him. We don't ever really see it from another side. It's completely from that perspective. And I think that's why when I left the film, I was just so like fucking shocked. Like it's just 
seriously watch the film it's it's funny it's terrifying it's just fucked up but but it's it's entertaining i'll say that so and wonky phoenix is incredible so that's number five number four now i think this is probably where most of you are going to disagree with me and hey that's okay number four is across the spider-verse it is a great film it blew me away I've talked about it before. I've talked about it on my last couple of episodes. It is really good. And I think it's the fourth best Spider-Man film of all time. But I think it's, and I think it's the fourth best film of this year. I reserve the right to change my mind as, as the year goes on. Now, granted, I have only seen the film once. And that, that is very important to point out, especially when you're talking about comic book films. I've always said, I think you should see a comic book film multiple viewings at least twice before you really give an extensive review so my mind could change i i want to just preface that but where i'm sitting right now only having only having seen the film once i think it is great the 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 hype is real but i don't think it's better than these next three films but one thing i can almost guarantee even if I see the film five, six, seven more times, this is not the greatest comic book film of all time. I think that is fucking ridiculous. And I think people are people that say that are being reactionary. I think they're being caught up in the moment. And I've been there. I have said some I have said some wild fucking takes that are out of pocket. I said Spider-Man No Way Home is like the I think I said it's better than Endgame when it came out. And better than Infinity War. That was fucking stupid. I don't know why I said that. I quickly, like, felt differently after a few months. And, like, so I, I get it. Like, people are excited and I'm not trying to shit on you. If if you truly feel like it's the greatest comic book film of all time, more power to you. But I think a lot of people that are saying that right now are, are, are saying that because they're caught up in the buzz. And for me, I think that people need to, if you haven't rewatched The Dark Knight recently, rewatch that film and I think you'll see. If you haven't rewatched Infinity War, go rewatch that and I think you'll see. If you haven't rewatched the original Toby Spider-Man, I know it's dated, I know there's some funny, goofy things about that film, but go rewatch that. I think you'll see. Like, there, people are forgetting uh, just how great some of these Logan, like some of these comic book films that have come before it, people, I, I think people are forgetting just how good and, 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 you know, transcendent some of these films are. This is a great movie. It is definitely up there. And I think it's a top five Spider-Man film of all time, but calling it the greatest, calling it the greatest comic book film ever, I think, to me, I think that is a little ridiculous. That's just my opinion. So anyways, Number three is John Wick chapter four. Now, this was incredible. I think this is probably some of the best choreographed action set pieces and fight scenes I've ever seen in any action film. Uh, to, to be honest with you, I, I'm not, I don't think it's the best action film of all time. No, absolutely not. But I think it's, it's, it's amazing, and I think it's one of the best films that have come out this year. I still think the first John Wick is better. There's a simplicity to that story that was told uh, with that first film that I don't think will ever be beaten. There was a surprise of that first film that I don't think will ever be beaten because at that point, the studio, I'm sure they weren't as confident in this franchise as they were now. I don't think at that point there was there was any plans for like a John Wick cinematic universe. They The studio just wanted to make a fun little action film that can make a little bit of money at the box office. 
And then from there, they were like, okay, let's make, you know, the ballerina, the continental. So there was just like that simplicity to that first film overall from the story that was being told and from how it was produced that I just don't think could be beaten with any of these future John Wick films. That's just me. But I think this is the second, and I think it's not even that far off from the first, but I still think that the first for me is always going to be my favorite. Number, let me see, number two, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I love this film. I think it's the best of the trilogy. And I felt just heartbroken after watching that. I See, I felt heartbroken, but I also felt satisfied and fulfilled. And I think the beauty of that film is in something that I didn't really realize. And I saw another content creator point this out in their review. And I actually admired that take quite a lot is that, you know, James Gunn took a risk and didn't, I'm paraphrasing, by the way, I don't, he didn't say verbatim this, but he's essentially saying like James Gunn went in a direct went in a direction that not that nobody really expected. He ended the trilogy without killing any of his characters, which has almost become like a standard now in IP franchises. It's like, oh, it's the third film. It's a it's an ensemble. Well, two of the four characters have to die. It's just something that we've come to expect. And I think it's interesting that in the third film, you still feel like, like there's a sense of conclusion with the, with these characters, yet none of them actually died. And I think that is such an interest such an interesting take that I didn't even like really consider. And sort of the 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 reviewer broke it down as like if you look at real life and you look at bands and you look at ensembles of 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 people that have created things like art and when they inevitably break up after so many years it's not because one of them died it's just because you know one of them wants to maybe start their own company or one of them wants to become a solo artist or or whatever and and i think that's almost like a more natural way to end it i think that's i just think it's very interesting and it's so funny I, I mean, hey, I fell for this. I was one of these people, like I'm sure a lot of you, the marketing of Guardians 3 had me thinking Rocket's going to die, you know, Drax is going to die. Uh, I mean, even in the interviews, you know, Dave Bautista was talking about his time as a character and it seemed like it was almost a foregone conclusion that he was going to die just by the way he was talking about his experience in the film. He's like, this is definitely my last run. Uh, I'm done playing the character. I'm not going to play him in the future. So to me, and like a lot of you, the logical thing to think from that is, oh, he's def- he's, he's going to die. But I think it was so interesting to end this film. Just they're, the, the band is splitting up. We might see them, you know, come back together down the road. Let's be honest. We're going to see them come back. Secret Wars, 100%. Everybody's coming back. The band is splitting up for a while. This is the end for now. It's not a goodbye. It's a see you later. And I love that. And obviously, everything with Rocket just broke my heart. Uh, with Tease Floor and and the other one, I can't remember his name. Uh, Lila, excuse me. Lila. That I think it was, it was beautiful. It was sad, heartbreaking, but it was, it was, sometimes it's okay to feel those things when watching a film. I think it's necessary. I think you need to feel all ends of the spectrum emotionally when you're watching a film. Um, And I I think it's truly, I think it's an amazing comic book film. And right now, like I said, I reserve the right to change my mind. I think we all do as time goes on. Right now, I think that Guardians of the Galaxy is a better comic book film than Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Yes, 
You can throw tomatoes at me. You can come at me with your pitchforks and, and, and knives and whatever. That's just my opinion. I respect yours. Uh, that That's just where I stand currently. But my favorite film of the year coming in at number one is Air. This was incredible. It was amazing. And it was so unique that they're telling the story of the creation of, of such an iconic brand and we're seeing the the inception of such a such a well-known player most people regard Michael Jordan as the greatest player of all time and the story is about all of that without actually showing us Michael Jordan yet it's still so interesting and at, by the end of the film you don't even care to see Michael Jordan you just you just want to see more of you know Phil Knight of 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 Matt Damon's character Sonny uh, and Ben Affleck has just become such a such an amazing director. Um, I, I think the town is is truly one of the best heist movies I've ever seen. I think it's fucking amazing. And across the board, I mean, there, there is really not a weak link in this film. The performances with Jason Bateman, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Uh, you have um, fuck, what's his name? Uh, the <laughs> The guy from Rush Hour, I, I've drawn a blank. Every time I'm doing the podcast and I'm trying to remember a name of a movie or an actor, I just, for some reason, my brain cannot pick it out. Uh, I think his name, Chris Tucker, that's his name. He was incredible. Everybody, amazing. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my list. Just to run through it one more time here. Dead Last, Knock at the Cabin. Then I got The Sun. Then I got 65. Then I got Cocaine Bear, Renfield, Super Mario Bro., uh, Evil Dead Rise, Ant-Man Quantumania, Creed 3, Reality, Bo is Afraid, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, John Wick Chapter 4, Guardians 3, and Air. What is your midterm movie report card of 2023 so far? I'm going to revisit this list and do it again at the end of the year, and I'll give you, just like I did last year with 2022, I will give you, I will rank every film that I watched that came out this year in 2023 from the worst to the best. What is your list so far? Let me know down in the comments below. Now for the Wednesday episodes, I like to wrap up by doing a little fun segment called just what have I watched lately? It's just it's very self-explanatory. I'm going to go through the things that I've watched. I've watched a bit of TV. I've watched a couple of movies. We'll talk about it right here and then we'll wrap up the episodes. Let's, let's, uh, let's get into that. So I actually watched quite a few stuff this week. My last Wednesday episode, I think I only watched like one or two things. I was pretty busy. I had a little bit more time on my hands. So this week I watched, first thing I watched was Blade Runner 2049, or rather this past week. And I've already seen the film. This is probably my fourth time watching it. I love it. It's 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 incredible. Sometimes I just like looking at this film, which I think, you know, you're looking, you always look at a film when you watch it. Yes, I know. But it's just like, visually, this is a beautifully shot film. Like, it is fucking like, I don't even know how they do it. Like, it is incredible. There's so many screensaver moments. Like, obviously, it's, you know, it's very futuristic. And you have a lot of eye-catching colors. And it's it's incredible. Uh, love it. There's really not much I can say about the film. Um, if you haven't seen it, fuck. Turn off the podcast and go watch it. It's amazing. Um, it, even if you haven't seen... Because I still haven't seen the first Blade Runner to this day. I still love the movie, and I know it's kind of a sequel. So I've been told to the to the to the first film, but yeah, it's 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 awesome. Next up, I talked about it already. Is reality really really solid movie? And I'm gonna try and find an actual synopsis. I feel like I didn't explain it 
to the to the to the best that could have been explained or summarized a reality movie. Here we go. Uh, IMDb says reality is about, okay. So it's a former American intelligence specialist was given the longest sentence for the unauthorized release of government information to the media about Russian interference in the 2016 United States elections via an email operation. Yeah. Really, really good movie directed by Tina Sater. I've never, never really heard of her and it stars Sidney Sweeney, Josh Hamilton in Marchant Davis. Yeah, check it out, guys. It is a fantastic short little film. It's very good. I was I was genuinely surprised. Next film I watch is Red Rocket. Um this was a this was a this was a weird, funny, gritty, seedy movie. It was it was it was pretty entertaining. Uh it's about a it's about a former um porn star who's kind of down on his luck and he moves back to his hometown and he's kind of when we meet him he's he's seems like he's lost everything probably to his own detriment on on his own accord uh and he's he's living with his his still wife i'm i'm kind of i can't really remember by the by the end of the film i think she's still married but they've sort of separated without going through the through the divorce system and everything like that and uh yeah, he's it's 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 a pretty interesting movie. Definitely go check it out. Uh, it's very nice. It's it's very well shot. It's shot on film, uh, so it's got that film grain. Makes it feel like something out of like the you know the old the old golden age of cinema. Yeah, uh, weird movie for sure. Kind of reminds me a little bit of like a like a Paul Thomas Anderson film. Um, but yeah, definitely check it out. Pretty solid. It came out last year. It's got Simon Rex. Uh, interesting film. Definitely some weird shit in the movie. I'm, I'll, I'll warn you. It's uh, pretty graphic at times, but um, interesting. Interesting film to say the least. The last thing that I watched, I watched the Idol episode two. Uh, where do I start? I think that's exactly how I opened d- the discussion for the first episode. Where do I start? And I pretty much feel the exact same way. Look, the episode started off pretty strong, actually. I was like, okay, this is an improvement. Uh, the 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 first half of the episode, it, it involves Jocelyn shooting a music video for her upcoming uh, single. And she's, like, obsessing with getting the perfect take. And everyone everybody's exhausted. And meanwhile, she's probably got, like, six, seven amazing takes that are, that are, that they, that they can use. But she refuses to, to, can, to 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 have to, she's she's refusing to settle with that she wants to continue doing another take another take until she feels like she's got the perfect take and uh, and we, you know we see that she's still struggling with the grief and loss of her mother and she's clearly going through a lot this character is is probably not fit to work and she probably needs to 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 sort of do some you know take some time to herself that stuff was pretty interesting. I was like, okay, if the show can focus on this, then I think we have something interesting on our hands. And the supporting characters, I think they're, I think they're interesting, uh, except for the Nikki character. I fucking hate that character. She's just so unlikable. There's just nothing about her that I like. And I understand, like, that's the point of the character. She's, she's clearly lacks compassion, lacks empathy. And all she cares about is is pushing out this product, and, and really she just looks at Jocelyn as 
a as a money machine rather than an actual person. Um, and that's very similar to Tedros and yeah, I'll I'll get into the weekend stuff in a second. I don't even want to talk about that yet. But so for the for the beginning for the first you know, 35 minutes of this episode, I was like, okay, this is an improvement from last episode. I think I, I'm, I think I'm willing to give this a, a second chance. Uh, and then we were, we, we were, we were reintroduced to the weekend again. And look, this is basically what I can say about this show. It is everything outside of the weekend is interesting. There's potential Everything with the weekend in the show, I cannot stand, and I and I I think it's it's terrible. Just to be honest with you, and this is coming from somebody who is a gigantic weekend fan. You can, if you're a friend of mine listening to this, you know how much of a fan I am of the weekend. I fucking just pretty much all the only music I listen to is him. I love his music. I just don't think he's a good actor, and I, I and I, I really don't think that this is a good character written at all uh a badly written character rather and I, I don't know what it is and yes i get it the weekend's acting this isn't who he is but i just find it funny that the first character and the first sort of thing he wants to tackle in terms of performing is a character like this this is sort of very similar to the kind of stuff that he he sings about in his music it's it's all about sex drugs money fame fortune betray or betrayal like very much like what this show was about and I just think it's funny that this is the first character that he wants to act in and I I just I don't know I just I I cringe every time we see him and and his disciples and and they're all there yeah everything with him in the show I I think is terrible to be honest with you and I think it's what truly brings the show down if if that character was completely wiped from the show and everything involving him and his sort of little cult they should like that if that wasn't a part of this show i think that you could have something interesting here everything to do with you know jocelyn and her manager really the only character that i like in this show truthfully is uh jocelyn's manager uh, the the hank character the guy with like the accent whatever he's the only likable character in this show everybody i pretty much don't like even you know jocelyn i mean once her her stuff in this episode was a, it was an improvement uh, i think the acting was better as well um but yeah i i I don't know. I I don't. I, I think I might have to tap out. I think this is this might be it for me with the show because I know that they're going to continue with the stuff with the weekend. And by the end of the episode, you know, they they've agreed to uh, to well, Tedros has sort of uh, pitched the idea of of moving in with her. And I know that that's pretty much where the show is going to be continuing. So I'm probably going to tap out. I, I think the show had me excited when it was announced. And it, it has, you know, it had potential, uh, but I just think that they went personally, I think they went in a, in a pretty bad direction. And I think that the show should have focused more on just Jocelyn dealing with this tragedy and trying to navigate her way, navigate her way through this comeback uh, while trying to, you know, juggle doing, you know, so many things and, and, you know, worrying about so many things rather than this, like, you know, porno fucking shit going on with the show that truly adds nothing to the story like i've talked about it before you know i have no problem with a movie or a tv show 
being graphic and showing sex scenes and showing violence. Like, that's fine as long as it adds to the story. If it doesn't add to the story, there's no purpose of it being there in the first place. It's just there to sort of blow you away, I guess. I, I don't know. It doesn't blow me away. I just think it's it's pointless at this point. And the last 20 minutes of the show is truly like treading on thin ice from, from it being you know, a television show and a porno. And I truthfully mean that like watch it and you will see what I mean. It is like, it's, it's, it's walking a thin line. And I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of, you know, dark, uh, graphic films. And, and I don't mean like porn. I just mean like, I've seen a lot of movies that, you know, have a lot of, you know, stuff like that. And, and, and that have treaded on thin ice. Like when I was a kid, every, every kid, my, my age, and I was like 12, wanted to see piranha because of all the stuff going on in that movie. Like, this film is is truly like not far off from being like a like a you know damn near a, a porno when it comes to the stuff at the weekend and everything like that and it just it doesn't serve to the story at all it's literally pointless being there so i'm a huge fan of the weekend i fucking love his music and i'm i'm going to continue listening to his music and i'm excited to you know hear his third album and his trilogy as he's described it but he needs to uh I don't know. He needs to act in something else uh, because I, I just think everything with him and, and his sort of uh, characters and, and his group, whatever. I think I think under his record label, I think is 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 what sort of he is under his club. That all that stuff is terrible. I think that's the worst part of this show. And if that wasn't in the show, then they could have something on their hands here. Uh, but I think it brings it down quite a lot. And I think I'm going to have to tap. I, I said I would give it to episode three, but I can see where the show's going. It's clearly going to lean more towards that relationship between Jocelyn and Tedros. And that's just not for me. So yeah, I think that's going to be it for me, guys. I think I'm going to have to tap out here. This is a pretty long episode, 121. Usually, I mean, I'll be honest with you, the one struggle of doing this podcast, and I love doing it, but and I think anybody else that does a solo podcast can probably relate is, is that, that, that that's it. You're, you're solo. It's fun having somebody sitting, sitting across from you to, to talk with because it takes some of the load off and just, cause sometimes I feel like I'm talking in circles. I'll be quite honest with you. And, and, and I probably am because it's, it's, there's only so much I can say and so much I can talk about before I just exhaust myself and just going on and on and on. So anyways, um, yeah, so to avoid going in circles and going on and on, I am going to end it here. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. I appreciate you. If you stuck around this long, thank you. Make sure to save the episodes so you can listen to them on the go when you're commuting to work or running on the treadmill or eating waffles, whatever you do, uh, however you listen to a podcast. Um, make sure you download the episodes and subscribe so you don't miss an episode when they drop. That's it, everyone. I'll see you on the next one. Have a great day or great evening.